Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. This podcast is for week eight of BYU's winter semester 2022. I'm Mark Olivier, co-director of International Cinema, and I am joined by Professor Daryl Lee, who is chair of the French and Italian department at BYU. He's an affiliate of BYU's Global Women's Studies, International Cinema Studies, and Comparative Literature programs. His work in cultural studies has addressed 19th century France and post-war cinema. And most notably for this podcast, he has a book called The Heist Film with Columbia University Press. Not that we'll be talking about a heist film today, but welcome, Daryl. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're going to be talking about this film from 1969 by the director Costa Gavras called Z. We'll get to the title, I think, a little later, but I want to talk about the opening scene where we have these title credits rolling over images of supremely bored generals and majors who are listening to a scientist, and we'll get back to that. But what interests me is this text appears that says, any resemblance to real events and dead or living people is not a coincidence. It is intentional. You don't usually hear that with that warning. So maybe could you talk a little bit about why it's intentional, what the real life events are that it is intentionally portraying? Sure. So Costa Gavras became a naturalized citizen in France in 1968, but was Greek and was very concerned about the politics and the state of his country, Greece, which was under military dictatorship from 1967 to 1974. But in 1963, an important opposition party leader named Grigoris Lambrakis was assassinated. He was killed. At first, it was presented as if it was a an accident, a, 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 mm-hmm. a traffic accident, if I remember correctly. When in fact, there was enough that was fishy about it that a prosecutor was assigned to the case, did some investigation, and it was discovered that he had in fact been intentionally killed, assassinated by this right-wing organization. And that becomes the basis for a novel by Vasilis Vasilikas, which helps to kind of create this important folk leader, political mm-hmm. leader, mm-hmm. leader for left-leaning politics in the country. And in fact, that's where the, the title of this comes, because it was a, a very simple kind of gesture in street art and publications to use the letter Z or mm-hmm. Z. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, depending world, on where you're from, right? Which was taken to mean that Lambracus is still alive. It's sort of this, his, the ideas that he embodied. He lives. He lives. Yeah. And he's coming for you, mm-hmm. uh, right-wing dictatorships and generals. Uh, military police, for example. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes the basis for this film, this adaptation of the novel later on in the, the decade. Yeah. I want to go back to that opening scene for a minute because okay. it is really interesting. You have this speech by the scientist. He's talking about agriculture and mildew treatment. And there are these shots of these bored military officers who are checking their watches, falling asleep, doodling. But then a major stands up and he picks up on this metaphor of mildew eradication. I just want to know what you make of that choice for the opening scene and the use of that metaphor. Well, it's critical because political discourse, especially extremism, relies upon metaphors that are easily digestible Mm -hmm. and that create us-them dynamics, but also good-evil, the sort of vertical hierarchy or Uh corrupt, that which is morally good. 
And so the mildew is a perfect kind of metaphor for this, this infection, the social infection that needs to mm-hmm. be eradicated. There's a phrase that's used by the military police where he talks about protecting the sacred tree of liberty mm-hmm. from ideological mildew. And this opens up this opportunity to start classifying people and groups or certain kinds of activities or practices, clothes, music, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, according to these things which are a threat, which represent a danger to the body politic or the social body, in this case of Greece. And they need to be dealt with yeah. in, in these aggressive kinds of ways. And it's really funny. I mean, is it the shift to metaphor from this more literal kind of mildew? Right, which Everybody, everyone's bored by, but then they just snap into attention. It's it's They're, a fascinating moment. Mm-hmm. The, I, I noticed that the the cinematography, that montage is really interesting because mm-hmm. you it's one of the few moments in the film where you have a series of extreme close-ups of mouths yeah. Hand in the mouth of a nose of eyes of these balding hairlines. Uh-huh. I know because I'm stricken by the same, <laughs> the same problem. You seem to have this sort of almost scientific breakdown of the body, but this is not about biology. It's not about nature. This is all about culture. This mm-hmm. is all about political culture in particular. So it taps into, I can I think a long history of denigrating the other of dehumanizing mm-hmm. others. Mm hmm. And making us see that there's a kind of battle that's taking place in this metaphor of yeah. immunity or antibodies. That right. They call themselves the, the antibodies, antibodies to the disease-carrying individuals, right, who have all, all of all these isms of communism, of socialism, of, of anarchy, you know. It's not hard to see how that was a kind of ploy, a metaphorical ploy in anti-Semitic discourse and fascism in Europe. Absolutely. Just a few decades before, right, Jewish people taken as some kind of dangerous entity that needed to be eradicated as well. And it's a similar kind of dehumanizing discourse. So very common. This is not new. Right. It's interesting that, of course, this is an anti-fascist political thriller, but the corrupt military frames itself as a pro-democratic force, right? right? Even while they're suppressing free speech and protests. And we're showing it at international cinema as part of a theme, which is about government corruption. Mm-hmm. And Z, you know, it was released in 1969, which is a pretty fraught political year. And it seems really relevant both then and now. Why do you think that is? Well, I I think it's quite clear in Cold War geopolitics, you have this backdrop of the Vietnam War. The state is carrying out this violence through war to fend off the spread of communism, for Mm -hmm. example, and vice versa, of course, this, this fear of capitalism, of of republicanism, those kinds of things. It's relevant today because you have coups that are taking place Mm -hmm. in Africa. You have this military buildup of Russian troops all along the border of Ukraine Mm -hmm. set against the same kind of Cold War backdrop. It's, It's as if today we're back in that period. But then even leading up to that in the United States, we have this very sharp rhetoric around race, around (laughs) political disease. (laughs) And yes, in very similar kinds of terms Mm -hmm. by certain kinds of figures in our political landscape. And you think about this heightened sense of right and left tearing apart, Mm -hmm. going after each other, but sort of spreading and fracturing our our social contract in Mm -hmm. the United States. I find it quite topical and distressing to a certain extent. What I like about Z is that it allows us to break down how these these processes work, 
It's interested in the use of media. Mm-hmm. It's interested in the use of, of the masses, right? Yeah. The way you, right. you rouse people up and certain kinds of incidents create some something to follow or, or, or fight back against. Mm-hmm. I think all of that is pertinent today. Absolutely. And at the time, Costa Gavra said that the movie was in Greece, was banned for years. In fact, it was filmed in Algeria. Right standing in for Greece. And it was the Algerian, you know, film for the Oscars, even though it's so so we have a film that's that's in French filmed in Algeria standing in for Greece, it couldn't be shown in Greece until 1974. Mm -hmm. And Costa says it was a huge success, huge. I mean, every Greek wanted to see that movie. It was amazing. Well, in America, also, you know, it was obviously Mm -hmm. a huge success. What can you tell us about the American reception? Oh, that's a really interesting history. And I know that you're aware of it as well, because the film was released in France in February of 1969, Mm -hmm. but its release in the United States wasn't until December. And yet in March of 1969, it was shown at an event that was partially organized and overseen by the Black Panther Party. Yeah. The United Front Against Fascism, right? In Oakland. Right. So it's a film that uh, somehow somebody caught wind of this, was aware of it, Mm -hmm. And somehow a copy made it across the Atlantic to the United States and was shown this event. And it was, it's a commercial film. It's a political film, Mm -hmm. political thriller made at a time when these films are developing a kind of language, right? The political film has not been around since the beginning of cinema, even though politics has always been a part of cinema. Right. That doesn't mean that some of its generic traits or some of the features of a a very self-consciously made political film existed it comes into being in the 60s as a result right. of civil rights movements, this very Cold War backdrop. It's not surprising then that you find it at this moment. You think about Berkeley, you think about the events in the late 60s, the kind of social violence and political violence that is taking place across the globe, really. It's no surprise then that it has some kind of currency at that moment for these groups in the United States. And they, mm-hmm. it's like a sneak, they sneak it in. It's like, you know, it has this, this cult role to play in this discussion. There are a few reasons filmically that it works that way. Yeah. We'll let's, later. Let, oh. Well, no, let's talk about that. I, I think generally when people think, oh, this is going to be a political film, then they think, oh, is it going to be experimental, didactic, boring, but it isn't. And I think this is one of the reasons that it's so influential. Can you maybe talk about how it relates to, other directors, to the genre of the political thriller? Sure. Let's understand that in 1960s France, which is where Costa Gavras was working, this is the era of the new wave. There's Mm -hmm. a great deal of experimentation. There's a lot of debate over what movies do, can do, can't do, should do. And so I think that he picks up on some of the the more interesting innovations, trends among filmmakers that were increasingly politicized in their films, people like Godard making Weekend or La Chinoise, mm-hmm. two or three things I know about her. And so it's part of that generation. And then a moment in France in May 1968, where the right-wing Gaullist regime is taken to task by workers and others, he sort of picks up on on this moment, ties these threads together, reads the zeitgeist, Mm -hmm. learns some of the lessons of the experimental or the the more forthright ideological films of the new wave, and then finds a way to tell a story that is compelling, 
that yeah. has that that thriller suspense interest for most more audiences than mm-hmm. those going to the art house cinema. And he makes a commercially viable political thriller. Yeah, it's um, incredibly engaging. I mean, it, it is really a thriller and audiences immediately latch onto it. You're not going to art house cinema per se. You know, you feel like this is a commercial event and it also happens to be a political event. Yeah, this yeah. is absolutely true. If I could say something, I yeah. think there are two things that come to mind as, as well. One is, though Costa Gavras was clearly left-leaning mm-hmm. um, and sympathetic, the very next film that he makes, La Veu or The Confession, mm-hmm. he takes on in a very similar kind of way a communist totalitarian regime. Right. He takes them to task in very similar kinds of ways for abuses of, of state power. It's a very different kind of film, even though it stars the same actor who plays the central character in La Veu is, um, or The Confession is Yves Montand, mm-hmm. as well as the character who plays Z or the mm-hmm. Lombrakis stand-in figure in Z. What I think is really interesting here, and this is the second point that I will make, there's something interesting about the choice of Yves Montand because Yves Montand was a very beloved singer and variety show performer. Uh-huh. He had had a brief liaison with Marilyn Monroe. He made films in the United States as well as in France. Hmm. He was married to a very popular French actress at the time, Simone Signoret. So he was yeah. kind of an international figure, not just in Europe, not just in the Mediterranean, Greece, Algeria, mm-hmm. which was filmed in France, but also in the United States. This is what I'm getting at, though. Mm. In other words, you have a character who is beloved playing this figure who is then killed, right? Yeah, 15 minutes into the film. It's even less than Psycho gives right. to, the, to the big star. Where does the suspense come right. from? I mean, he does live for a while and yeah. these operations yeah. that take place on him, these doctors trying to save his life. But this goes to a point that I think other critics have made about one sub-genre of the political film, which is an assassination film. Mm-hmm. The 1960s is an era of assassinations. Robert Kennedy, of Mm -hmm. course, the most important one is his brother, JFK, Mm -hmm. one of the more dramatic events in the 20th century and and something that is known across the world because of the television coverage, the news coverage, standing of the United States Mm -hmm. as this post-war superpower during the Cold War. Yeah. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. Malcolm X. Yeah. So absolutely. uh, Fred Hampton, of course. Yeah. Which corresponds, in fact, almost to the date, you know, of the U.S. opening, right? It's in the beginning of December that Fred Hampton, who's a Black Panther leader in Chicago, Chicago. is is assassinated, basically, orchestrated by the FBI. Political killing. So there you go, a political corrupt thing, right when Z releases in America. So you can imagine how that resonates, right? Absolutely. The thing that's so fascinating about the assassination film, then, is you have figures that are public figures, the world of media in which we were living then, and in fact, it's even more heightened today with mm-hmm. social media, for example, and cross-platform transfer of, of ideas, right. topic, language, images, creates a collective moment, yes. uh, either of mourning or in some cases of the celebration of, of an opposition figure. If you're on one side of the political spectrum and you're like, yes, we, you know, it's this odd moment where people are invested more than normal in a death and the implications of that death for political decision-making or even symbolism. And that's why I think the Yves Montand character is interesting. People know that person Mm -hmm. and they attach to that persona 
an importance in this political film where the players are of a country where we don't quite know what's going on. We know that this is Greece because we've done right. history. We know that Costa Gavras talked about it. But the film, in many respects, allegorizes these very kinds of things. This could have been Chile yeah. a couple of years later. Yeah. This could have been other countries where coups like this took place, right. where right-wing dictatorships orchestrated these kinds of killings and takeovers and the coups. And so Costa Gavras, that's one of the brilliant aspects of the film is it plays off of persona and a specific identity mm-hmm. of Rockus and Greece and then Yves Montand, but then does something more because he makes it applicable to a time to other yes. countries, to other kinds of fraught political moments. Right. And it doesn't matter whether it's a right wing or a left wing no. corruption. It's I think that's why it has this universal appeal. You can just apply it to that theme. I, I want to sort of get into a spoiler for a minute here, okay. which is the audience at the time would have known how this plays out. So it wouldn't have been a spoiler. You're just going to see how it is enacted. But I'm thinking of this moment where all of a sudden you get satisfaction of arrest. There's going to be justice. And the widow of the figure who is Yves Montand, the the figure who's assassinated, she just sort of doesn't seem particularly enthused and sort of looks out to see Mm -hmm. when she finds out. Why? What do you think she gets that other people who are excited, like victory has arrived, that they don't? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's a very pathos rich kind of moment because mm-hmm. you have this counselor of Z who's learned that this injustice is going to be set right. He runs across this beautiful Mediterranean landscape mm-hmm. or something. And it's, it's well lit. It's midday. It's this sort of almost a bucolic scene. Yeah. But there's this response, which says there's something that's not quite right here. Now, but for my first answer is because when you see the shots of her, these, these quick, rapid montages of her remembering her husband, they're mm-hmm. very private moments, right. very personal moments. And so she understands that his death touches her. While she understands he's a political public mm-hmm. figure, it hurts her. Right. And, and it so doesn't help. Joy does not. doesn't bring him back. No, not at all. The second thing is, I think that she probably understands because she is so close to this public figure mm-hmm. that this is not going to change the politics of the moment. Right. That those, that's a much, much harder kind of thing to overturn. There might have been this moment where the injustice is exposed and even institutionally there is this pushback. She recognizes that at a moment of rampant extremism and hard, hard politics, mm-hmm. violent political moments as well, this political violence, it's not going to change the world. This doesn't right. usher in some kind of utopian moment and a course correction for the society at large. Right. That the animus, the venom is still there. The discourse is still there. The opposition is still there. The division, the schisms are still there. Mm-hmm. This is not necessarily going to change that. I think that's what she perceives. Yeah. But those that are hopeful that have seen in Z right. a, a more kind of savior figure, right. they don't get. They, they're too close to the the public persona, they're too close to the sense of injustice to realize. Right. Well, in fact, who ends up getting punished really? Well, in the end, Mm -hmm. and that's an interesting kind of montage at the end where you realize that everyone eventually gets let off. Yeah. Um, Maybe some super low level people, everyone else, you know, yeah. the, The higher you go up the chain, the more power that they have to protect themselves and to avoid any kind of accountability for their actions. Even the law can't touch them. 
Right. Um, you have a series of convenient accidents of witnesses that could have testified in court. And we know, obviously, that this right wing regime wins. The coup wins. Right. And then reasserts its power by imposing new kinds of prohibitions. Yeah. In fact, they mention a bunch of them at the end. What are some of the prohibitions that it says get put in place to counteract this sort of revolution? Well, of course, you got to get rid of mini skirts. Of course. (laughs) And long hair. Uh Uh-huh. Those are always... The Brady Bunch is out then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Lots of writers, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Chekhov. So Mm -hmm. writers that come from... Russia, of course, now the Soviet Union. So on the left side of the uh-huh. Cold War perspective, of course, Mark Twain, really dangerous. You got right. wary of satire and especially someone who's critiquing any kind of authority. Right. So that's got to go out mm-hmm. aside from the normal ones, you know. Right. I think it's interesting that they go back to ancient Greece as well. Like yeah. they see this long tradition of Western philosophy and thinking a source of problem. Yeah. Troublemaking. Too much free thinking. Sophocles. No, uh-huh. so, uh, Socrates, I remember. Aeschylus, who else? Yeah, they, it becomes a crime to say that Socrates was gay. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so criminalizing that is important. I do think that it's important at this moment that you know, in terms of these political assassinations from the 60s, mm-hmm. the 70s, one of the groups, and it's actually this sort of underground right-wing organization, claims that it's going to save Western civilization. Right. So it lays claim to this heritage that is sort of religious and ethnic at the same time. Mm -hmm. The idea of civilization that needs to be saved. Mm -hmm. And yet they're eliminating some of the figures that have actually created the democratic or political freedoms, um, the civic rights, and thought about the costs to individual rights and to society when there are corrupt governments in place that are then outlawed at the, at the very end. And, you know, that's when you get the revelation that the letter Z, that the letter Z is outlawed. You don't find out as a viewer of the film until the very end when you're like, Oh, Z was outlawed because of that. You know, he lives because of its revolutionary power. So, yeah, this is something that I think is important. If we could talk for a moment Mm -hmm. about the history of cinema we said this before that this is made in a context of European experimentation and particularly coming out of France, Uh the French new wave, which is increasingly politicized. Costa Gavras invents a kind of mainstream language for political films. Right. Right. So I I think we need one of the takeaways from this film is Mm -hmm. that we're watching before our eyes, the creation of the political film, a language for it. I find it fascinating that there's some ambiguity that he allows into this. He clearly has a particular point of view that he wants to get across, Mm -hmm. but there are three montages. One is of the actual assassination itself. Mm -hmm. When this supposed traffic accident takes place, but in fact, he's been spoiler alert, hit by something by this aggressor. That same sequence is told two more times. Mm -hmm. One of those times it's told by the head of the military police. Mm -hmm. And it's this playful moment for cinema, right? Because of the way that he reconstructs that point of view, the way that it's shot, lighting, and the way that it ends up Mm -hmm. is completely different. And so it causes us to go back through that event in the second telling Mm -hmm. of the event through one particular perspective, using those resources of, of movie making. And then finally, it sort of recuperated a third time 
when another character tells it and it's much closer to the original, although it is from his point of view, right. it is close to that moment. There's a lot of, I, I think, good filmmaking that's taking place here. Absolutely. The use of psychedelic rock music, but uh-huh. also Greek music at times. Yeah. It's more traditional and folklore, um, folk music, I, I, I mean to say. And then other aspects of mise-en-scene, if you look, there's this really heightened attention to reds, red frames, red kiosks, red colors and clothes. Mm-hmm. And it's a rather neutral kind of almost monochromatic yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. landscape most of the time. Mm-hmm. When landscape, I mean the, the decors, right. the interiors, the mm-hmm. sort of bureaucratic right. hospitals and the, the police headquarters. Yeah, Some kind of, of a lifeless, yes. um, authoritarian. So uh, reds set come decor. out, and that's him right. making a kind of statement because red is associated with socialism. Mm-hmm. I think red is associated right. with communism. So it is a, a moment where you have to look for some of the traces of this thought and this craft that's put into it mm-hmm. without it becoming so experimental or in your face yeah. that you're not interested in the story and the characters and, and the thrill. Mm-hmm. Of, of this particular political moment. Yeah, that's great. I, of course, want to push my students for international cinema studies to go there looking for those types of details, you know, colors, montage, all of that language of film. I think in particular, he learned these lessons about, you'll see these quick edits, these quick cuts mm-hmm. to somebody's memory or a daydream, but it's really fast and it's simplified it's like he learned this lesson from Alain René's Hiroshima Mon Amour, which mm-hmm. is really critical. The entire movie is structured as an exercise in parallel editing between a trauma and its memory and the way that it bleeds into current memory. You see these moments where he's learned the lesson, but he's, that's, not, that's not the end point. Yes, He picks exactly. up some of these traits here and there from this experimental cinema from the time, but he turns it into something that's much more mainstream. Right. And, uh, you know, ultimately, even though the ending is pretty depressing, that you don't have that satisfying hero's victory, really, it's undermined. It's part of what leaves it open and relevant to any type of corruption, Mm -hmm. I think. I think so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think we're about out of time. But thank you so much, Professor Lee, for joining us today on From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our producer, Devin Glenn, our sound engineer, Marina Hegstrom-Pratt, and Johnny Stallings, who composed our podcast soundtrack. Visit ic.byu.edu for upcoming films and showtimes. Until next week, keep seeing great international movies.